Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Before we begin our show today, we would love to let you know about another podcasting friend of ours, Dawn, and her podcast, Method and Madness. We would love if you would check out her pod and give some love to a fellow indie podcaster who presents true crime with both passion and compassion. Here is a little about the show, Method and Madness, from Dawn herself. Looking for compassionate true crime? This is Method and Madness, a true crime podcast with a purpose. Shedding light on injustice and advocating for change. Join me, Dawn, as I take you on a journey of immersive storytelling and pose questions to get you to think about the method of the mind, the madness that ensues. We're going deep into the evidence, examining lesser-known cases, all while focusing on the victims and the survivors. Dive in to Method and Madness, available wherever you get your podcasts. Did you know that less than 2% of the world's population have red hair? According to Cosmopolitan, that's approximately 140 million people. Scotland, of course, boasts the highest percentage of natural redheads with 13%, while Ireland comes in second with 10%. Another interesting fact about redheads, again, according to Cosmopolitan, is that red hair is actually thicker than any other color hair. Each strand of red hair is generally thicker than other shades, which compensates for the fact that redheads actually have less hair. Apparently, they have on average just 90,000 strands, while blondes have 110,000 strands, and brunettes usually have about 140,000 strands. Lastly, many scientists believe climate change is threatening that gene. Given that red hair doesn't adapt to warm climates, the gene could, at some point, according to cosmopolitan scientists, become extinct. A scientist told Scotland Now, quote, I think the regressive gene is slowly dying out. Climate change could see a decline in the number of people with red hair in Scotland, end quote. Interestingly, redheads are at the center of today's case. Between 1978 and 1992, a series of murders occurred along major highways in the United States, nearly all including female victims with red hair. Despite the passage of time and the best efforts of law enforcement, the case remains unsolved, leaving many questions unanswered. Throughout today's show, we'll delve into the details of the case, exploring the evidence and theories that have been put forth over the years. This is the story of the redhead murders. Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. 
and my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the cases will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, because, as we all know, conversation helps to keep the missing person in the public consciousness, helping keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. Okay, I have to, I've got to say some things before you start. Okay. First of all, that is fascinating. Second of oh, about all. about red hair? Yes. Second of all, it's no wonder I lose so much hair because I've got so much more hair than other people because I'm a brunette. I know. So I need to tell this to Rodney. That's a reason why. <laughs> so he can quit complaining about hair the shower hair. Everywhere. <laughs> I'll just be like, well, I have 50,000 more hairs on my head than a redhead. So there we so go. So there you go. <laughs> Did you know they don't go gray either? What? Redheaded people don't. Yeah, I no. read in that same article, it said that their hair just turns lighter, but <gasps> never fully goes gray. It just gets like a really light, almost white shade of red. Well, but that makes me wish I were a redhead. Me too. <sighs> Man. But the other thing I was going to say is how about how much you and I are on the same page with my episode from last week being about two different people, two different sisters who have red hair. Listen, we it, all, this happens we all know. way too often. Yeah, and we don't discuss any of the cases. Mm -mm. So when it happens, mm -mm. it is coincidence. Yeah. Which is coincidental because today's <laughs> case also talks about coincidences. Oh, nice. <laughs> Coincidentally, it's about coincidences. Yes. So Great. a lot of people think that this case, which is going to be sort of like a double-edged sword because not only is it still unsolved, but it also has a lot of unidentified victims. So we're mm. getting a little bit of both okay. this week. And some people think that the person behind all of these deaths that we're going to talk about is a serial killer. But a lot of people also think it just could potentially be a series of coincidences. Ah. And we talked about coincidences on the show before early mm -hmm. on, didn't we? Mm-hmm. But, you know, if everyone is like me that listens to their sh the show, they've likely forgotten. <laughs> because I know you talked about... Um, like the science behind coincidences. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to do a little refresher on that theory today, since we're going to be talking about consequences as a possible explanation to all of these. That so I got this information from Discover Magazine. So all this is just going to be a quote from there. But it says, quote, a 2015 study published in New Ideas in Psychology reported that coincidences are an inevitable consequence of the mind searching for casual structure in reality. That search for structure is a mechanism that allows us to learn and adapt to our environment, which I find fascinating. The very definition of coincidence relies on us picking out similarities and patterns. Quote, once we spot a regularity, we learn something about what events go together and how likely they are to occur, says Magna Osam, an experimental psychologist at the University of London and one of the study's authors. They go on to say, quote, and these are valuable sources of information to begin to navigate the world, end quote. 
But it's not only recognizing the patterns that make a coincidence, it's also the meaning we ascribe to it, especially meaning that provides solace or clarification. So when we see an unusual configuration, we think it must hold some significance, that it must be special. Yet most statisticians argue that unlikely occurrences happen frequently because there are so many opportunities for surprising events to happen. It's chance, says David Spiegelhalter, a risk researcher at the University of Cambridge. Spiegelhalter collects anecdotes of coincidences. In fact, he's accumulated more than 5,000 stories since 2012 as part of an ongoing project. In 2016, an independent data firm analyzed these stories and revealed 28% of them involved dates and numbers. But no matter what the nature of the coincidence is, he claims coincidences are in the eye of the beholder. So this article gives an example. And I mean, I feel like what we just talked about it's coincidence that we did two mm-hmm. weeks with right. redheaded mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. But this example says in a room of 25 people, there's a 50-50 chance that two of them will share a birthday. Most of us would view this as an like, you know, a coincidence, but mathematically the events are bound to happen, but we attribute this coincidence like in our heads, but statistically mm-hmm. It's not that That is fascinating to me because that seems such a small number that right. to think that two people would then, because there are so many days in the year, that mm-hmm. it's crazy to think that two are going to have the same birthday in such yeah, a small a sample size. Just, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that same article says, regardless of what triggers coincidences, research suggests they're more likely to happen to certain people. So this person in the Mm -hmm. article said, people who describe themselves as religious or spiritual, those are more connected with the world around them. And those who are seeking meaning or are in distress and searching for signs are more likely to experience coincidences, which makes total sense. Right. It's kind of like you read more into things than what they're actually Mm -hmm. should be to read into. So I guess today we're going to be talking about a couple of different things. Okay. All of this a coincidence. Are these deaths tragic serial murders or are these deaths, some of them may be serial murders and some of them not. So there's a couple different things. Okay. The redhead murders that we're talking about today refer to a series of unsolved homicides or most of them are unsolved, which I know sounds weird, but we'll get there. Okay. (laughs) That took place in the United States between October of 1978 to October of 1992 is what most sources said. Mm -hmm. And almost all of these murders were of redheaded or redheaded-ish women. And unlike other serial killers we've discussed on the show who stuck to, you know, one particular area, the women we're discussing today were killed in various states, including Tennessee, Arkansas, Kentucky, Mississippi, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. Mm, It's a wide range of the country. Mm -hmm. And many of the women we're discussing today remained unidentified for some time, and some still are unidentified, but through a lot of technological advances, many have finally gained their identity back. Mm-hmm. And nearly all the women's bodies were found alongside major U.S. highways. And that's really what kind of links that and the hair are really what links all of these women together. Okay. Because officials think that whoever killed them was targeting hitchhikers or maybe like sex workers. Okay. 
2018, the perpetrator of this series of events became known as the Bible Belt Strangler since all of the deaths took place in what we would consider the Bible Belt. Mm. But there are as many as 14 victims of this person if we assume that the same person is responsible for all of these deaths. So there's a lot of people. Okay. So my list may not include all of them. And I know that I didn't include all of them because not all 14 are for sure victims. Some of them are just potential victims. So when you guys are doing your own research, you'll come across names that we didn't talk about. So it could be, you know, just your list. It could be just some other list or it could be all of them put together. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Mm. One of the most chilling aspects of this case is the fact that many of the victims remain unidentified, which I think is always so sad. Oh, it so is. Some of them were actually never reported missing because they weren't in touch with their family. So it's possible Mm. that their family members may not even know that their loved one was murdered. Wow. Which goes to your, I know it goes to, you know, you mentioned that there's the theory that they may have been sex workers Mm -hmm. or hitchhikers, like somebody may be leaving home or, you know, involved in that industry, maybe not in touch with their family. So, I mean, I'm already seeing why police have those sorts of theories. And you're exactly right. Many of them were, you know, hitchhikers or just not in touch with their families. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to start today by talking about a few of the 14 and then move into some theories. Okay. So the first person that we're going to talk about today is Lisa Nichols. She is the first named victim of the redheaded murders. There are previous victims prior to her death that are considered possible victims to the redhead murders. But Lisa Mm -hmm. is where we're starting today with the first named victim. Mm -hmm. On September 16th, 1984, a redheaded female was found along Interstate 40 near West Memphis, Arkansas, and she was found badly decomposed. Despite the fact that that area was heavily traveled, Lisa laid undiscovered for approximately four days before a hitchhiker noticed her body and called the police. So she's there for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And it's still warm in September. Oh. According to several sources, she was found naked, covered only by remnants of a knit top. And I wonder why they tried to cover her with that. I don't know if that was... A personal thing for the killer. I don't know if that was just circ- like happenstance that the top fell to cover part of her, you know. But you would think, though, if she's naked other than that, that seems mm-hmm. an odd. I guess I would like to know where it says covered only by the remnants. Is she still wearing it partially or was it laid on top of her? I think it was laid on top of her. So that would seem to say that it's a message or it's something Mm. important or Or it's not just happenstance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
According to front page detective, Lisa was a roamer. She was originally from West Virginia, but had found herself living in West Memphis, Arkansas. And according to this source, Lisa was a prostitute who was often referred to by her street name, Baby Doll. Because Lisa was a transient sex worker, it wasn't easy for the investigating team to identify her body. Because as we know... You know, these transient sex workers aren't usually top priority for law enforcement, and they typically don't have a lot of contact with home. So she probably wasn't really on their radar. Which I'm telling you, that makes me so sad. And I like, I understand why maybe at first she wasn't identified as, you know, even missing. Because mm-hmm. of the lifestyle, you know what I mean? But it makes me sad and angry to think that once she is found missing, as I'm sure she was, that her disappearance wouldn't be seen as a priority as much as anybody else. And Lisa's case, which all of these obviously are sad because they are murders, mm-hmm. but Lisa's case in particular, I think is really sad. She did remain a Jane Doe for a period of time, but she was eventually identified by a couple who had allowed her to stay with them in their residence for a period of time. And so they're able to say, oh, that's Lisa. She stayed Mm -hmm. with us for a little bit. Mm. And once the identity was, you know, processed, police were able to match her fingerprints with fingerprints on file for Lisa Nichols. So they were able to 100% determined that it was her. Good. Once they discovered that this Jane Doe was Lisa, the police were able to find her pimp about nine months after Lisa's identity was discovered. And Uh he told authorities that the last time he saw her, she was climbing into a semi-truck outside of Shearerville, Arkansas, at a truck stop there. You know, I did read, and I think we've mentioned it before, on one of our episodes, and I apologize if any of our listeners are truck drivers, but I'm pretty certain I read an article once that talked about, in terms of professions, the likelihood that a serial killer would be a truck driver because you are constantly on the road, you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. like, because of that kind of travel. And so... Hmm. That's scary that, you know, because she, if she's getting into a, a semi truck, I mean, where's this, this guy taking her? You know right. what I mean? Probably not to a hotel. Right. And her autopsy was able to determine that she was murdered within 24 hours of the last time that she was seen. Mm. She was strangled to death. And I read in a couple different articles that she was actually strangled using a piece of like her clothes that the person had ripped off to strangle her with. Gosh. And as if that wasn't bad enough, I read in that same article that when Lisa's body was transferred back to her home state, they called both of her brothers who were still alive at the time to let them know that she had been murdered and her body was ready for pickup to be laid to rest. And I read that neither one of them ever came to retrieve her body. Oh, that breaks my heart. So I don't know what happened to Lisa Mm. after that point, but Mm -hmm. I just thought that was so sad. That is. 
On January 1st, 1984, an unknown pregnant woman with red hair was found dead alongside I-75 in Tennessee. Her body was found down an embankment off the south side of 75 near Jellicoe, Tennessee. Oh, yeah, like Jellicoe Mountain. Yep. And just like in Lisa's case, the remains were in an advanced state of decomposition. So, again, they have, she had been there a while before her body was found. Okay. The decomposition of her body in the autopsy reports led investigators to believe she was killed approximately 72 hours before her body was found. And also, like Lisa, this Jane Doe was killed by strangulation with a piece of her own clothing. Mm. She was Caucasian. She had shoulder-length curly red hair, and they estimated her to be between 17 and 25, but possibly as old as 30. So relatively young. Right. And if you remember from Lisa's discovery, Lisa was naked except for that knit top that had been placed over her body. But this Mm -hmm. victim was fully clothed, which I find odd connecting them to the person. Hmm. Because this person was in a tan pullover, a shirt, and jeans. And they had actually been wrapped in a blanket, which I find extremely personal that you're taking time to put them in a blanket. Right. Yeah, that's definitely even more personal than Lisa's story. Yeah, because it's like you're trying to protect them from the elements. Hmm. I did read and it is in everything that there was semen on the blanket and that semen was huge in finding the identity of this person. And we actually know who killed this person. Oh, Allison, it took a long time before the identity of this Jane Doe would be discovered. It wasn't until September 6th of 2018 that the Shelby County Sheriff's department announced that the victim had been identified just a few years ago. Yeah, and she was identified as Tina Farmer of Indiana. And she was found in Tennessee, so she had traveled Mm -hmm. a distance. Yeah, all of these girls are going to have in common the fact that they're travelers of some sort or another. Mm -hmm. According to some sources that I read, she was 20 or 22 at the time of her death and was last seen in Indianapolis, Indiana. So she's not... The last time she's seen alive is in Indiana, but she's found dead in Tennessee, which is a drive. Which, again, I mean, maybe she was seen alive, and that was the last time she was alive in Indiana. If she's Mm -hmm. found decomposed, I mean, I don't know what she's exposed to, but I don't know if she had to be in the weather for that level of decomposition or if whoever had done something to her just hadn't disposed of her body yet. Disposed of her. Mm-hmm. All my research said that Tina had one daughter prior to her disappearance in 1984. She was actually reported missing by her family at the time, but authorities in Indiana had not entered her into any national database, like a, you know, the like a Jane Doe mm-hmm. national database. The state did not have a law, like many others do, that required law enforcement to enter unidentified victims into national databases. So that's one reason that she went unnamed for such a long time wow so remember that i told you there was semen that was found on the blanket well in 2019 dna evidence identified a convicted kidnapper jerry leon johns as the man that killed tina farmer 
in December of 1984. Okay. So you're probably like, why the heck are we talking about? Right. Right. (laughs) If we know his name. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Why are we talking about her? Well, simply put, there are many that believe there may have been more than one person involved in these serial killings, or as I've mentioned a few times, that the murders weren't actually related. Okay. So she could be an outlier committed by somebody Mm -hmm. else that just has some connections, or he could have been one of multiple people involved. Or he could have been the one, but we'll never know, because he died in prison in 2015. Oh. But she is... So the first couple that we talk about like four or five i think um are considered to be victims in this redhead murders oh okay and i separated the possible victims and we'll talk about them like last Mm -hmm. so that's why i wonder if maybe he was connected in some way to the other ones or you know like we said it is just right coincidence that all these girls have red hair okay What's crazy, and we talked about this a lot on Patreon, Allison, is that he was previously convicted in 1987 of aggravated kidnapping, assault, and other crimes in the attack of a woman named Linda, who he picked up in Knox County, Tennessee, just two months after Tina's disappearance and death. So if we're assuming that he is this Bible Belt Strangler responsible Mm -hmm. for the redhead murders, if he had stayed in jail then lives could have been saved because this person is potentially at large until like 1992. That happens a lot. Which is Where people don't get, you know, a punishment for a crime that seems more reasonable. And so they Mm -hmm. go on to reoffend. Yep. Miraculously, Linda survived that attack by johns she was actually bound strangled like the previous two girls that we've talked about and dumped along i-40 and her testimony was obviously paramount and putting johns behind bars like tina linda had been choked with a piece of cloth ripped from her own t-shirt she had been bound and then left for dead in a storm drain near watt road linda also had red hair Mm -hmm. and on december 18th 2019 a grand jury in campbell county tennessee ruled that if johns were alive he would be indicted for the murder of tina gosh so let's keep going and see what we think about the rest of these in connection with the ones we've already talked about okay on April 3rd, 1985, the skeletized partial remains of a young girl were discovered about 200 yards off of Big Wheel Gap Road, four miles southwest of that same town, oh. Jellicoe, Tennessee, in Campbell oh. County. So this one is Awfully relatively close. close. Mm-hmm. Unlike the others, though, she was not found near a major highway or interstate, but rather in a more remote area. Um, but still an area that if we're assuming the killer is the same person or at least the same group of people that they would have known about this area again. unlike the other girls, because she was in such a remote location, it took a while for her body to be discovered. She was believed to have been dead between one to four years. Oh, that's a lot longer than the Mm -hmm. And I do think, it was her, I think, I read that this was near, like, a strip mine. So she is 
out mm-hmm. in the sticks, mm-hmm. not in any major right roadway mm-hmm. and she was found by a person who just randomly happened to be in that remote stretch of road and they stumbled upon her skeleton gosh officially her cause of death was listed as undetermined because of the amount of time that had passed mm-hmm. between her death and her discovery oh so yeah. you know it was impossible to determine mm-hmm. a concrete manner of death According to my research, they found 32 bones, including her skull, all of which were recovered from the scene. Her skull was complete enough that they were able to do a facial reconstruction attempt. But oh, wow. From, I know, which is really interesting, especially given like, the, the time amount period. of time yeah, that had elapsed, too. They did find a necklace and a bracelet made of plastic buttons that was found nearby her body, as well as a pair of size five boots and some scraps of clothing. And size five boots are tiny. Mm-hmm. They are. Like, I, I wear an eight. Well, I, I do too. Well, I wear eight and a half. <laughs> but my mom has a size five foot, so. I feel like you could yeah, buy little she's... kid clothes with a size oh, five foot. <laughs> Despite finding all of that at the scene of the crime, police were unable to determine if those items actually belonged to her, again, Mm -hmm. because she had just been there for so long. Mm -hmm. They were unable to determine who she was, and so she became known as Baby Girl. Oh, that makes her sound super young. Yeah, she... There are several that the age ranges, you're kind of like, is this the same person that killed... Mm -hmm. Like Lisa, because the the ranges are kind of everywhere. Do we know the age range for Baby Girl? She was believed to have been between 9 and 15 at the time of her death. Oh, really? Which is significantly Very young. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there were enough similarities between the manner in which she was discovered and the manner in which the others were discovered that led police to connect her with the other people in the Redhead murders. Okay. So just like in Tina's case and Linda's story, so the girl who survived, this victim also had a knot of fabric around her neck, the material, again, believed to be a piece of her own shirt. Okay. I mean, that is, that would to me seem to indicate an some sort of unique detail. Mm-hmm. So that is interesting. But I do think it's weird that she's so far out and not mm-hmm. right at a major road. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Interestingly, recent forensic analysis of the victim's remains indicated that she wasn't actually native to the area where she was discovered. So again, someone who was just passing through, I think. Mm. I didn't find specifics about how this was determined, so I don't know if they used her teeth or, you know, something else. Yeah, Yeah, because we've talked about all of that before on Mm -hmm. here. But they thought that she was likely born maybe in Central Texas or in Florida and had lived some of her life in the Midwest. And it wasn't until recently, and this one's super recently, on August 30th, 2022, That this Jane Doe was identified as 15-year-old Tracy Sue Walker of Lafayette, Indiana. So another young person, at least. Mm Mm-hmm. Hmm. I think it's interesting that they're finding all these identities all these years later. Oh, yeah. The connection was made after Othram Laboratories located a possible family member in the Lafayette area. And the TBI intelligence analyst 
located several relatives who confirmed that they had a young woman from their family disappear in 1978. Mm. Sadly, Tracy's mom had actually twice reported her as running away from home, from their home Mm -hmm. in Lafayette. But she just was not on, like, any radar for investigators. Tracy was last seen at a mall with a friend sometime in 1978. And then, you know, isn't seen again until she's discovered in... What was it, 85? So that's, I mean, so again, several years Mm -hmm. between the discovery then with this one as well. And her initial went, yeah. On March 31st, 1985, authorities were again made aware of the skeletized remains of a redheaded female. This time she was found in Pleasant View, Cheatham County, Tennessee, and became known as the Cheatham County Jane Doe. Hmm. She was are, believed is law to ha- making connections between all these cases. Like, are these cases well? And obviously, now in hindsight, we're making connections between all these cases. But was there talk at the time where they're like, "Hey, here's another one," you know, who's meeting all these criteria? I think so. I think it took a little while for them to get there. But I still don't think in all that I've read that they really know for sure. Okay. That, you know, I think most agree that the ones so far that we've talked about are all connected. Mm -hmm. And I think there's maybe like two more after her. But even some will be like, maybe they're connected, maybe they're not. It's just weird. Mm -hmm. She was believed to have died between three and five months prior to the discovery of her body. And it was determined by the medical examiner that her cause of death was unknown due to the amount of time her body had been exposed to the elements. They Mm. just couldn't tell. Right. But many people do link her case to those of the redhead murders, mainly because... And this is investigators as well. Her remains were found at the side of Interstate 24 between mile markers 29 and 30. Okay. So that's the biggest connection for them. Mm -hmm. We talk all the time about the power of DNA to solve crimes because it uniquely identifies us as well as our traits. Codex Lab is taking the power of DNA and also using it for good in creating skincare treatment that's specifically designed just for you. Use their Derm Score feature to not only find what products you need, but also to continually measure your skin's progress using the products. As their mission statement states, they are, quote, committed to creating the highest standard in sustainable skincare and biotech plant-based alternatives to restore and protect the skin barrier and support a healthy microbiome. The products address key skincare concerns and conditions, including eczema, psoriasis, sensitive dry and inflamed skin. The brand has been heralded by dermatologists for creating effective, clinically proven skincare that brings a new data-driven and transparent approach to beauty, end quote. 
They sell ingestible dietary supplements as well as skincare because they believe in the connection between your skin health and your digestive health. Again, your DNA and their scientific research drives their product, and we can't wait for you to try them as well. To try Codex Labs products yourself, to see just how effective they are, go to www.codexlabscore.com. That's C-O-D-E-X. L-A-B-S-C-O-R-P dot com and try DermScore. When you decide which products work best for your skin, use the code COFFEE20 to receive 20% off your purchase. She was clothed. She was wearing a shirt, a sweater, pants, and underwear. She was Caucasian, between 5 feet and 5 feet 2 inches, or about 157 centimeters tall. However, unlike in previous cases, her weight couldn't be determined. And they were really set on examining her teeth. I don't know if they tried to find dental records or not. But in all of the research, it talked about that her teeth were crowded and she had overlapping in her mouth. And Mm. none of the other ones were that detailed about dental stuff. Well, unless they were hoping that is what could identify her, like you said. Oh, true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they would be like, she mm-hmm. had really crooked teeth. And then right. people would be like, oh, yeah. Right. She was believed to be between 31 and 40 at the time of her death. Hmm. So significantly older yes. than some of the ones we've already talked about. Definitely. To this day, we do not know who this Jane Doe really is. And as with all Jane or John Doe's, it makes me so sad to think that somewhere out there, a family is missing a loved one. hmm I did think, though, that her sweater would be pretty recognizable if she had friends in the area or people that she had maybe been staying with or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I placed a picture or two pictures, actually, um, on here for you, Allison, because I think that would just be something that you would remember it has like little pink flowers on it and appears to be yeah wide and has some like blue flowers it's like a collared shirt with like red piping Mm -hmm. it looks like yeah i definitely think that that would be recognizable yeah because if someone that i was friends with wore that and i saw a picture of it i'd be like oh Mm -hmm. sarah had that Mm -hmm. a sweater just like that Mm mm-hmm on April 1st, 1985, the body of a woman was found in a large white refrigerator oh. in Gray, Kentucky, which is in Knox County, along Route 25. This one is so different than all the other ones that I'm curious okay. as to why we're saying... She's linked. It's the, Yeah. It's just okay. so... The refrigerator completely throws me off. Okay. The cause of death for this young lady was suffocation, which leads me to believe that she was alive when she was placed inside the refrigerator. Right, because it's not strangulation, it's suffocation. Right. Mm -hmm. The victim had been dead for a few days when she was finally located. And I don't really know, unless you just saw the refrigerator and opened it up, how you would know. Because I wouldn't think it would smell with it being closed. I wouldn't think so either. But when she was found, she was nude, except for two distinctive necklace pendants that she had on. One was a heart, and the other was a gold-colored eagle. Hmm. And again, 
I think would be very recognizable. Right. When especially, I don't know Gray, Kentucky, but I would imagine it's a smaller town because I've never heard of it. Mm -hmm. And then, and and obviously that would seem to tell me that she probably wasn't from the area because I feel like if she were and then she has these distinctive necklaces, then somebody would have been like, you know, oh, I, I clearly know who that is. But if it's someone from out of town, then that wouldn't happen. So I just Googled it, and Gray, Kentucky has like 3,600 residents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So small. So I'm going to say an out-of-towner. Mm-hmm. She also had on two pairs of socks, one that was white and the other was green and yellow stripes. But that's all she had on. Hmm. As with some of the other victims, there were rumors that this Jane Doe was trying to get a ride to North Carolina when she was presumably picked up and then eventually murdered. So like you said, not from Mm -hmm. that town. Mm -hmm. Right. According to NBC, 500 people attended her funeral. Wow, that's a significant amount. And it was also televised. Yeah. And I think it's because... This would have been, you know, like a local sensation mm-hmm. in such a tiny town where nothing mm-hmm. out of like the ordinary happens. ever happened. Right. right. And I do think that's probably a little bit of Southern hospitality too, like them knowing, oh, she doesn't have a family. We have to go to the funeral. So at yep. least somebody's mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, that this next detail, again, I think somebody should recognize this but the refrigerator that she was in had a decal of the word superwoman on the front and when i read because i always read these episodes to anthony to make sure they make sense Mm -hmm. before we do them and he was like superwoman do they mean wonder woman do they mean wonder woman there's no such thing as superwoman and I was like, oh, I didn't I even know, notice that. Anthony. I, t- I totally didn't even notice that. I mean. All the research said Superwoman, weirdo. I don't know. <laughs> wow. So then but, it clearly yeah. would have been recognizable. Especially right. if that's not a real person. Yeah. And I was like, I sorry, I don't know your comic book stuff. I just know what I've read in the research. And the research said Superwoman. Mm-hmm. But he was like, it's Wonder Woman. It's Wonder Woman. Hmm. Hmm. But the the fridge clearly said Superwoman. Yeah, that's what all the research said. Hmm. And I would think that had pictures of this fridge been released, that, you know, someone would have been like, oh, yeah, that's that's a really weird sticker that's also on Tommy's fridge, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the only image I could find was a pretty poor one, and I posted it for you, Allison. And, I mean, I can see a sticker on there. Right. But you can't but see what it says. But you can't see what it says. No. Case files stated, quote, distinguishing features of the body included a number of moles on the right side of her neck, near one ankle and below one breast, a yellow stained upper incisor, a scar and other marks on her abdomen indicating that she had borne a child. Her eyes were light brown and her hair was red and nearly a foot long, which fit the pattern of the redhead murders. After the autopsy, this victim was determined to be between 24 and 35 years old and approximately 4 foot 9 to 4 foot 11 inches tall. It's possible that she owned the pair of boots that were found near the refrigerator, end quote. Hmm. Yeah, so far I'm not really seeing any connection other than that she has red hair. 
And that's right. about it. Right. In 2013, the police focused again on this case, in particular wanting to find the identity of this unknown woman. They did receive several tips. Um, a lot of people called in, but there was nothing super significant um, or no significant process that was made in identifying her or her killer. Mm. Finally, though, on October 1st, 2018, the Knox County Sheriff's Office announced this woman had been positively identified as Epsi Pilgrim of Western North Carolina, per a report I saw on ABC. Hmm. Identifying her was finally made possible when her daughter, who reported that her mother had been missing since she was six weeks old, came forward to Aww. see if her DNA matched Jane Doe's, and it did. Aww. I know. And it was reported she had four other children. Wow. So they're yep. at least finally able to lay their mom to rest. Yeah. And that one, I think, I don't want to say sweet because that's a weird right. term to right. use. But right. at least they have a little bit of closure, solace. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Before we jump into the theories, I do want to briefly mention the other suspected victims of the Bible Belt Strangler. Okay. So the other people that could potentially be part of this redhead murders. First is Priscilla Ann Blevins. She was 27 years old and her remains were found along Interstate 40 in Waynesville, North Carolina on March 29th, 1985. So right around the same time period and mm-hmm. an interstate. Yep. It's believed she had been placed at the location around the time she went missing a decade earlier in 1975. Mm. She, too, was a Jane Doe for some amount of time before dental records and DNA finally gave her name back in 2012. There has been no cause or manner of death ever determined that I have read. And well, again, if she's not there specified, for 10 years, then... Right. What would they not? Likely. How could they determine mm-hmm. anything? Mm-hmm. And authorities haven't said a lot about the investigation surrounding her case. Her sister, however, commented that the circumstances of her discovery appear to be involuntary. Hmm. She, too, had reddish hair, reddish blonde hair. But that makes it, because they say could be involuntary, means they don't even know if this was a suicide or an accident right anything like that right okay i guess that's why she's a potential right Mm -hmm. second is karen nippers Mm -hmm. and she was discovered on may 25th 1981 they found her body and recovered her body from a low water crossing on a highway near dixon missouri this victim had suffered trauma to the face and was strangled with a pantyhose, which I think fits mm-hmm. the previous people. Mm-hmm. Like many of the others, she was determined to be between 25 and 40. She was also found clothed. Strangely, she didn't have red hair. Oh. Hmm. But it's a potential link mm-hmm. to the redhead murders, but she had brown hair. Hmm. Until 2019, her identity remained a mystery. She was finally given her name back with the help from the DNA Doe Project in December of 2019. And they determined she was 33 years old when she was murdered. Hmm. So that one I feel, I don't know. I mean, we have the strangulation, but yeah, I'm iffy about it. 
Next is the Wetzel County Jane Doe. And she was found on February the 13th, 1983. She was naked and found alongside Route 250 in Wetzel County, West Virginia. She was found by a pair of senior citizens who called and reported her body because they originally thought it was a display mannequin. Oh my goodness. We've said this before. It's never a mannequin. It is I feel never so bad for these mannequin. senior citizens, though. I know. That would be traumatizing. Gosh. Because it was snowing at the time of, that the discovery was made, investigators were able to determine that the body had recently been placed in that location. Because mm. this, I thought, was like, okay, this is smart. Because yeah. the ground was covered in snow, but the victim wasn't. Oh, And so they're like, there's no way she'd been here that long. Mm-hmm. Police said that they were able to find tire tracks and footprints nearby. They indicated Mm. she was transported to the site after death in another location. Interesting. Their examination concluded that she had died about two days prior to being found. She wasn't a victim of sexual assault, but not all the other ones were either. Mm -hmm. Her cause of death also was listed as undetermined. She did have auburn-colored hair and... She was linked to all these other homicides, or a possible link okay. to all these other homicides we've talked about. Hmm. Okay. The next possible victim is DeSoto County Jane Doe. She was found murdered on January 24th in 1985 in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Per NamUs, 16 women were ruled out as this jane doe oh, so they so did they were, a lot they were desperately trying to find out who this was mm-hmm. this jane doe was found by a truck driver driving southbound on us 78 about 100 feet east of the cold water river bridge around 7 30 in the morning her body was 20 feet south of the highway and her shoes undergarment and jacket were missing She was strangled with the ligature, and she was possibly sexually assaulted, though I never read for sure that that was determined. Okay. She, too, was estimated to be between 20 and 40 years old. She was about 5 foot 2 inches and weighed about 105 pounds. So So small. So she's tiny. Mm Mm-hmm. She was also believed to be a heavy smoker and had three piercings in each ear and appeared to be a habitual nail biter because her Mm -hmm. fingernails were deeply bitten. Okay. Which is a very bad habit. My mom always told me I would get worms if I did that, which I know isn't true, but <laughs> kept me from biting my nails. So. so it worked. So it worked. The next possible victim is Elizabeth Lamont, who was found on April 14th, 1985 in mm-hmm. Greenville, Tennessee, which is in Greene County. She was determined to have been killed between three and six weeks previously. So it takes a while for her body to also be discovered. Okay. She had severe blunt force trauma, and that's how they believed that she was murdered or maybe a stab wound. Oh. Which is way different. Right. Yeah. Than most of the other ones. Hmm. Her body was in an advanced state of decomposition, you know, as were many of the other girls. Police were able, though, to obtain her fingerprints as well as DNA and dental information. Okay. They also were able to determine that she had been six to eight weeks pregnant shortly before she died, but had miscarried before death. 
Mm, that makes me wonder if she's not linked. Like if there were some personal mm-hmm. reason why. Yeah, some personal issues. Mm-hmm. She was not identified until November 2018 when officials announced that the victim was New Hampshire native Elizabeth. She was 17 at the time of her death. We know for sure that Elizabeth disappeared on April 6, 1984, and she was identified through a DNA match after a DNA profile was obtained by her family by the New Hampshire police in 2017. She had been staying in a group home and then just never returned to her family. Her family was initially asked for a DNA profile because there was a woman who was a victim of the Bear Brooks murders. Oh, and, yeah. There's even a podcast, Bear Brook. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they thought that this unidentified girlfriend could be the girlfriend of Robert Evans, mm-hmm. who was actually the killer Teddy Rasmussen. Oh, uh-huh. But it ended up not being her, but they did find who she was. Right. There is also a possibility that the Pulaski County Jane Doe is connected in the Redhead murders. She was found deceased on April 20th, 1985 in Wrightsville, Arkansas. And she was right in that same age group, 30 to 40 years old, and was about 5 feet 3 inches tall. Mm, so shorter as well. Mm-hmm. She had blondish red hair and had a previously fractured left femur, which I think would be significant for identification. Mm-hmm. Yet she's still a Jane Doe? Yep. Hmm. Her cause of death was either unable to be determined or hasn't been released. And very little information has been made available about her case. And I searched a lot. And there wasn't a whole lot about her. So pretty much all we know is that she had reddish hair. She's Mm -hmm. in the age range of some of the victims. Mm -hmm. She had a fractured femur. And so therefore she is a potential victim. Yep. Hmm. Okay. The Rowan County Jane Doe was found on August 29th, 1987 in Rowan County, Tennessee. She was estimated again to be between 35 and 50 years of age. So a little bit older there. If she's on the high end, I guess. Mm-hmm. And she was about five feet to five feet eight, which I oh, think is a significant yes. estimation. It's a huge range. Interestingly, she had naturally brown hair, but it was dyed red, which makes her fit this particular mm-hmm. killer's type or what he usually went after. Mm-hmm. From medical examinations done on her, we know she had a... a had a hysterectomy and a tracheotomy, which makes me think she may be a little bit older than if she already had the hysterectomy. That's true. Yeah. Unless it was, you know, for health or whatever. Mm-hmm. She had a mole on the left side of her back, and she also had breast implants. Additionally, she had a gunshot wound with a oh. bullet still lodged in her spine. These, okay, the last Jane Doe had at least one identifiable thing. This Jane Doe has multiple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Authorities determined that the body had been burned and suspect okay. that it was done deliberately to hinder identification efforts. I don't know that I would connect yeah. her with the others. I wouldn't either. That doesn't fit at all. 
the way she was murdered has never been released. I don't know if it was that shot to the spine or something else, or if they just were not able to determine the way that she was murdered. Mm-hmm. Stacy Lynn Chahorsky was found strangled to death in Rising Fawn, Georgia in late 1988. Mm-hmm. She, however, wasn't officially reported missing until January 1989. So just mm. like right after she was found, which was four months after she was last had contact with anyone. Okay. So whoever reported her missing had waited a while and her body was actually mm-hmm. discovered before they before. were officially reported her missing. Yeah. According to my research, Stacy had told her mom via telephone that she was planning to hitch rides from her current location in North Carolina back to her home state of Michigan. Hmm. So hitching rides. Mm-hmm. And her remains were found alongside the east side of northbound Interstate 59 near Rising Fawn in Georgia. And this was about five miles from the Georgia-Alabama state line. Like you said, it was suspected that she was potentially a hitchhiker prior to her being identified. Mm -hmm. It was determined she had been sexually assaulted and strangled. In 2019, they actually adjusted her age range to be between 25 and 35. Before this, they thought she was as young as 16. Well, gosh, they were off by a little bit. Yeah, because she is also unidentified for a while, too. Okay. She was identified in late March 2022, so she okay. had been unidentified for quite some while, which I mm-hmm. guess is why they had such a big mm-hmm. range of age. On September 6, 2022, her killer was also identified as hmm. Henry Frederick Wise, a.k.a. Hoss Wise. Oh, where's that name come from? I don't know. Hmm. And I didn't really Google him beyond this. But he would have been 34 years old at the time of her murder. And according to DNA Solves, he was a truck driver in Western for the Western Carolina Trucking Company. And he was driving through like Chattanooga, Tennessee, to Birmingham, Alabama, to Nashville, Tennessee. And he had a criminal history. He like assaulted someone. There was theft, obstruction of a police officer. But he actually burned to death in a car accident in Myrtle oh. Beach in 1999. So we don't know if he's connected to any of these other deaths. Hmm. But we know for sure that he's he connected her. to Stacy. Mm-hmm. Okay. The last person we're going to talk about today is Donna Sue Nelton, who was formerly known as the Benton County Jane Doe. She was found murdered on May 7th, 1990 in Rogers, Arkansas. According to NamUs, she was located eight miles west of DeCarter, Arkansas, off Highway 102 in Rogers, Arkansas, on May 7th. So she is, now we're in the 90s. Okay. The area she was found was close to the Oklahoma-Missouri state line. They actually found several bones along the area where she was recovered that appeared to be, like, affected by a shotgun they found oh. buckshot pellets oh. under the skull hmm. and a neighbor had reported a fire in the area but he never went to investigate because he just thought someone was burning trash but investigators believe the victim or the bones at least may have been ran over <gasps> by a vehicle and that the victim oh was set on fire my. which makes me oh. think of that one other victim who was set on Mm -hmm. fire potentially too 
mm-hmm. all of which you know to make identification difficult mm-hmm. or impossible mm-hmm. She, too, finally was given her name back on October 25th, 2022. Federal authorities suspected her boyfriend at the time, George Alvin Burton, all these three named people, Mm -hmm. for her murder. George had spent time on the FBI's most wanted list for three months in 1979 because he took two families hostage. Jeez. And wounded two police officers in Utah. Wow. He was also found in September of 1989 to be burning, or throwing away, rather, bags of Donna's personal items. Oh, kind of a telltale sign then. Mm-hmm. And her car was found in a storage unit owned by him. Mm. He was sentenced to life in prison for drug-related offenses, but he died in 2018, or 20, 2008, and was never connected officially to her death. Mm. So, I guess what I'm most hung up on is we know who killed some of these people and some of these people Mm -hmm. we don't. So, there obviously has to be some interesting theories or else how are all these things connected? Right, right. And if we believe that these women, or the majority of them at least, were killed by the same person, that has to remove some of these people from the list because we know who killed. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, three of them at least. Or suspected. Right. Right. So, clearly, whoever this was targeted, though, the same type of girl. Nearly all of them were, you know, nomadic almost in their lifestyle. hmm So, they would have been targeting people who would not have been missed right away by their families. Correct. Yeah. So, could the person have been Jerry Leon Johns? So, the guy that kidnapped the one girl, but she got away. I mean, I and do he was feel like. Of Tina. Was he a truck driver? Yes. I do feel like if you're going to talk about a potential link between all of these crimes across different states. And over that time period that it would have to be somebody who Mm -hmm. had that level of mobility Mm -hmm. that a job as a truck driver would allow. I Mm -hmm. don't know if I'm convinced that it was him, but I do think that there would have to be something like that in place for there to be a connection between all the cases. Yes, and TBI investigators would say the same thing that you have said. Special Agent Brandon Elkins said in an A&E interview, quote, could he be involved in other cases? I think it's possible. Are we going to get there? I don't know, but we're not going to stop trying to connect to connect anything we can connect, end quote. Mm-hmm. And there were people in the same interview that said the same thing you said. That it mm-hmm. could be him, but that they believe it at least had to be a truck driver. Mm-hmm. And retired agent and former Jefferson County, Tennessee Sheriff David Davenport said, quote, because of the similarities in all the cases and how they were dumped alongside the interstate, it was probably done by the same truck driver or traveling mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. I would agree. And they, and they say, like, they're up front and say they don't necessarily point to jerry johns in all Mm -hmm. of the cases Mm -hmm. elkins said quote there are redheaded females who've been killed in the state of tennessee around that same time period so with jerry this time period of jerry johns Mm -hmm. but to say we're connecting the dots on all of these cases 
or they all have to be Jerry Johns, I'm not to that point. I don't know, frankly, if I'll ever be to that point, end quote. Yeah, I'm right with him based on the information that you shared with me. And they did in that same um, A&E true crime article interview a forensic psychologist. And I always think it's interesting to hear what they have to say from the psychology side of things. Mm -hmm. And this person said, quote, the idea that serial killers wait for the perfect victim is overrated. It's true that some sexually motivated serial killers do seem to have a fantasy of an ideal victim based on race, gender, or certain physical characteristics or some other special quality. But these preferences evolve over time. At first, the serial killer's victim's choice may seem almost random. As his killing career progresses and he develops confidence in his abilities to lure or kidnap a victim, some serial killers narrow down the type of victim they prefer and will stalk a more specific type of victim, end quote. Oh, well, then that makes me think, well, that makes our possibilities wide open because Mm -hmm. it could be that it's not a serial killer because there is this clear Mm -hmm. line of connections and maybe we're trying to read too much into coincidence but then Mm -hmm. on the other hand you think okay well if they do develop a preference but only over time then were all of these people's the victims of a serial killer but maybe somebody who was at work for a long time before with victims mm-hmm. who have never been linked to that serial killer because they don't have those characteristics. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Like I wonder if there's more than we more victims than we know about or more mm-hmm. possible victims than we know about. Mm-hmm. I do think if we're saying that all of these women were murdered by a serial killer, I think or most of these women, I should say, it has to be an unidentified truck driver, right? I mean, that makes the most Mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. It definitely does. Because because like you said, they had to be able to travel extensively. Mm -hmm. And these ladies were found in several different states, all within like the Bible Belt. And I feel like when you're a truck driver, I mean, I don't know, but most people have like a certain territory that they travel. Right. And I just wonder if that's why it allowed this person to be in several states in a span of like, you know, two decades, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some people believe that the killer may have been a law enforcement official or someone tied to law enforcement. I only saw this in like one article, Mm -hmm. but they said this theory is based on the fact that many of the victims were never identified. So people were wondering if, Potentially, the killer had access to criminal records Mm. and then would have known, like, who would have been easy potential victims. But I think Mm -hmm. that's a lot of work. Yeah, I agree. I just think think that's that's one of those. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. I think most of these are stretches, honestly. Mm -hmm. Another is that the killer may have been a fellow hitchhiker or someone posing as a hitchhiker to gain trust in these victims before he killed them. See, I don't know if that would be true either. Because if you're a hitchhiker, your whole goal is to get yes. somebody to pick you up. Right. So, I mean, you don't have to use some guys as a fellow hitchhiker, you know, to get them to trust you. Right. Another theory is that the girls were maybe killed by multiple people, but people that were all connected in some way. I don't necessarily have much credit for this one feel like it's also a stretch well especially if we don't even yeah know how they're connected 
Right. And the only way that this would make any sense is because, you know, we know different, some women's deaths were solved. So were all these people connected in some way, which I never read anywhere that they were. Right. And then lastly, could all these deaths just be a coincidence? And there's a lot of people that think so. Because like you said, are we just looking too far into these? Because these Mm -hmm. deaths span like two decades almost. And are in various places across the Bible Belt. There are many who think it's a coincidence that they were all redheaded. And that they were killed, some of them in similar circumstances. And like I said, just people are kind of looking a little too far and grasping at air to make connections. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even if that is the case, I don't know which is scariest. A serial killer or like 14 different killers potentially just walking around. Right. Yeah. So what are your final thoughts? I think if I were hard pressed to give an answer, I would say that it's hard for me to say that there's just one person behind mm-hmm. even the even the majority of these deaths let alone all of them if there is i think it would be and i would have to do research on how common it is for victims of strangulation to have been strangled by a an article of their own clothing that to me mm-hmm. it seems on the surface unique because i feel like strangulation probably normally happens by some sort of ligature like a rope or mm-hmm. you know something like that um and so that i do think is unique uh but that was so few of them that if there is a connection i i think that we're taking it too far by by trying to say that there's a connection between all of these different women. I agree. Despite years of investigation, the redhead murders remain a haunting mystery. Who was the killer? How did he choose his victims? And why were so many of them left unidentified? These are questions that may never be answered. The case serves as a reminder of the dangers that lurk on our highways and the importance of remaining vigilant when traveling alone. We hope that this episode has shed some light on this mysterious case and helped to bring attention to its victims whose lives were tragically cut short. We also hope that our discussion has sparked a deeper conversation about the importance of advocating for justice for all victims of violent crime. As always, we are genuine with information about this case to come forward and share what they know. It's only through the collective efforts of law enforcement, the media, and the public that we can hope to bring closure to the families of the victims and finally solve this case. Again, please like and join our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Twitter at Cases Coffee, on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast, or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll We'll see see you you next week. Love Notes with Allison.
Hello, sleuth hounds. I am flying solo today because Maggie is actually out of town and we recorded this episode early to make that possible. We have lots of love going out this week to Trisha, Nicole, Clara, Christy, Jill, Patricia, Marsha, Ted, Laura, Ben, Jennifer, Amanda, Trisha, Stephanie, Kara, Danessa, Jenny, Rebecca, Kathleen, Christine, Sarah, Leah, John, Amy, Julie, another Laura, Tanya, Tammy, Michaela, Brandy, Isabella, Julia, Drea, Charlotte, Suzanne, Kristen, The Death Cast Podcast, The Sirens Podcast, Brutal Bizarre Boozy Podcast, Tony, another Sarah, Marsha, and Stephanie for reaching out to us on social media or email this week. We also have mad love going out to Amelia and to Sarah, who joined our CNC fam on Patreon this week. We are so happy to have you both there. And if you are not a member of Patreon yet, what are you waiting for? You can get all kinds of bonus episodes of solved cases and mini episodes for only $7 a month. Plus, if you join at the $12, $15, or $20 a month level, then you will get quarterly swag boxes. Your level will determine the number of items in your swag box. So there's an incentive to join at the higher levels, but all of them are great. If you want to be a part of the next round, join one of those tiers for March through May. And here's a hint, we need your shirt size for that swag box. So if you want gifts or just the gift of bonus content and to support the show, head over to patreon.com forward slash coffee and cases, all one word, or click the link in our show notes. I have decided to save our written reviews from this week until next week so that we can get to our much anticipated giveaway drawing. So if you wrote us a review this week, just wait just a little bit longer. You'll hear your shout out next week and keep those reviews coming. Now for the giveaway, I have created a random name picker for each entry for each person. Remember the prize is your choice of an item from our Etsy shop. If you win, we will reach out to you for your address. So here we go. And the winner is Sarah, Sarah with an H. S. So Sarah S, I will reach out to you to find out your mailing address and verify your prize for the giveaway. So congratulations, Sarah S. We will do another giveaway here in a couple of months. So if you didn't win this time, just keep the faith. And with that, all our love is going out to each and every one of you. Until next week, Sleuth Hounds.